0: Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant.
1: Hello, my name is Tara Brown, and I am the Technical Director with the Connected Learning Alliance. Today, I am joined by Akili Lee, co-founder of the Digital Youth Network. He has served uh, as founding director for five years. And I'm going to hand it over to Akili to tell us a little bit more about what he's currently working on. Akili? Yeah,
0: thanks, Tara. So I am, uh, uh, as you say, I'm the uh, co-founder of the Digital Youth Network. and. Um, we're a hybrid digital literacy program where we work directly with young people in, in school content, out of school. Um, we also work with different institutions to um, adopt connected learning principles and leverage digital learning tools. And my focus on the work has really been around um, around developing uh, digital learning tools and social learning tools. So what are the new types of, uh, uh, of tools and software that we can use to enhance the learning experience, but then also saying, how do we take time to work with organizations and educators to really develop and adopt best practices and the right strategies for really integrating these learning tools into their context?
1: Great, thank you. So I have a set of questions here today, Akili, and I figure I'm just gonna dive right in. So um, we know that there is a need to give education an upgrade. We want to bring it out of the 20th, 20th century and into the 21st century. So in your opinion, what are some of the most pressing issues and uh, what can be done about them?
0: So from our perspective, you know, I I always like to look at it from, um, you know, I guess education in the, in the broad sense as well. Um, you know, so I don't necessarily much personally like to, to break out too much the quote unquote formal education versus informal. But, you know, we work a lot in kind of the out of school space, and I think there's you know there's there's, there's always a lot of po- positive and powerful um, learning that's taking place in these spaces, whether it's through after-school programs, through museums, or you know even just you know what what young people are doing on their own time. And so I think we really need to figure out how um, our, our our full kind of approach as a society to education can really start to build on a lot of the things that we're seeing um, successfully happen um, oftentimes out of school. And so how can we then? figure out some some authentic ways to pull those those opportunities back into the school day. So, you know, I think around students being able to really uh, build on their own interests, right, things around them being able to uh, maybe have different paths to get better at the same skill set based on their interest and based on where they are at any point in time. And, you know, I think that that convergence and that conversation is starting to happen a lot more right now, but I think the yeah, the biggest piece is really, you know, breaking away from you know, the idea that there's a relatively consistent sequenced, singular sequenced approach to get you know, from point A to point Z, um, and really look at saying how can we leverage um, the passions and interests that young people have, and then be able to tap into more of the resources that exist um, outside of schools as well.
1: And sort of related to that, uh, you know, changes in our economy and the labor force are also getting a lot of airtime these days, uh, there are fewer and fewer jobs for individuals, Uh, with only a high school education, and uh, even jobs for those with a college education uh, are decreasing. Uh, So considering this, how do you think our education system and the way we think about learning in general must evolve in order to deal with these issues?
0: I think a lot of it is is, is definitely comes back to, you know, to to kind of transferable skill sets and and also looking at competencies and dispositions to some extent. And So if you think around you know, problem solving, you know, as, as a skill that is obviously very very much transferable. I look back at my own experience and, uh, you know, I don't believe any job that I've had, you know, in you know all these years since I've come out of college necessarily probably even existed when I was, um, you know, when I would say was in high school or in middle school thinking about what I might want to do when I grow up and, and trying to engage in the classroom based on that. Uh, I think a lot of it is understanding how do we create a lot of these opportunities for people to be lifelong learners um, to be problem solvers, to be effective collaborators, and understand that you know while we need to dive deep into certain skills and and dive in deep into you know uh, certain areas of content, um, now we also need to understand that, that what's required or, not, or how those things are actually going to be applied ten years from now may look very differently and may look so different that we can't even predict um, how to support that right now. So if we come back and make sure we're doubling down and focusing really on those things that are Um, transferable, you know, like problem solving, uh, but then also, you know, uh, kind of dispositions of things like persistence and, you know, we're talking all these conversations around grit and such. How do we create these, these experiences and these authentic experiences, again, for young people to develop this um, where we cannot necessarily presume much of anything around the context of how it might be applied in terms of the workforce when they get older. You
1: know, you mentioned being a computer science major, and you know, in my experience talking to computer science majors that are you know in the job market, you know, the norm seems like that they think they need to go and seek a job, you know, at one of the major software uh, development companies. You know, what is your experience in how you might approach it? and and work with them in terms of thinking about um, their major and then applying that to an interest that they have, you know, meaning that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there um, related to their interests in technology, for example.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's definitely about, again, coming back to what people are passionate about and that they're actually very engaged in and making it clear that there are different pathways to still apply those skills. Um, in other areas. And so, you know, I made, you know, when, when I graduated college, you know, I I had a very clear choice that, you know, the natural path was either go, you know, go to a consulting firm or try to go, you know, work for some some software company. That actually wasn't the thing that necessarily drove me. And so, you know, I come from a, 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 a an upbringing that is very community oriented. And so I ended up going and working at, at a community based not for profit, but I was still doing technology work within that space. And then I, Um, got connected with my mentor, Nicole Pinkert, and we ended up starting BYN. And so, you know, it's this application around things that I can be passionate about, um, which is not just technology, but technology as an empowerment tool, right? And how does that actually help build and sustain community and, you know, empower the disenfranchised, et cetera? How do you leverage some of these skills um, in a broader way? And I think the challenge for, for, for young people that we need to actually take up um, is, is making some of these pathways a little bit more transparent and making them clear that there are multiple paths to be a computer scientist, for instance, right? And so, and there are multiple, you know, uh, multiple visions of what a computer scientist looks like regardless of where they work, right? You know, how do we make sure that these young young, young girls, you know, a sixth grader, you know, can envision herself as a engineer at IBM down the line, right? Or running her own, you know, community-based not-for-profit that's focusing on technology. We need to make sure that these pathways and these visions for what could be are much more broad and don't necessarily just fall in very kind of strict and rigid, um, constrained definitions of what a career path may look like uh, connected to a certain major or scale.
1: Yeah, I remember when, you know, I was really into gaming, you know, Sierra Online was my favorite um, game development house. And, you know, there really weren't a lot of mentors at that time, you know, especially women, um, but Roberta Williams was, was one of them at Sierra. And I keep thinking, you know, what if there were more, you know, mentors out there or, uh, you know, uh, experts in the area that said, hey, look, you know, you can have a career path that is based on your interests. So hopefully we'll see more of that happening um, with the work we're doing with connected learning and with and with your organization. Hundred percent, and I think it's
0: not even just the, the the career path. That's kind of the the long view to some extent. But you know, a lot of you know, I might be a, a an eighth grader or a fifth grader, and I may not be thinking in terms of career. I may be thinking in terms of just tomorrow and next year. And so you know, it's some of it again just showing people good at certain things or people expressing themselves. Um, or creating and, and making in a certain context that maybe we just was not too familiar to somebody else. So just you know, I think there's different levels and layers to it. And definitely also for thinking about engaging kids, we want to do it from a career standpoint, but also just you know, how do we nudge them to be willing um, and aware enough to take on a new thing that may not end up that may end up being be that passionate thing that they didn't know about that ends up driving you know driving their career decisions down the line and such.
1: Absolutely. So, Akili, how would you describe your your own work, and uh, what is your favorite part about it?
0: The short answer, I say, I work with uh, I work with 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 educators to uh, to work with kids around technology, and that's a terrible answer. Uh, so I think if I gave the longish bill we want to make sure that the young people moving forward really understand how they can leverage digital tools um, and, and broader types of technologies as well. Uh, as, as different modes of communication, different ways to connect themselves to new experiences, to communicate and share out different ideas, um, to connect to new communities and to overall to empower themselves um as a better prepared citizen to that, you know, understanding that, you know, we look at this work very much as as, as, as a literacy component. So we describe ourselves not as a um a media arts program or a technology program per se. Um we talk about ourselves as a digital literacy program that we believe that young people need to be empowered um, and you know, even exposed to these new modes to communicate and to create um, and that without having that exposure, that access, um, and those skills, that they're not, as, they're not prepared to, to compete fully moving forward and so you know, that's where it's definitely a question of equity um, from our standpoint
1: that really ends up driving,
0: driving our work.
1: How would you measure success with the work you're doing?
0: It's a hard thing because I feel like we work in a an environment that is very dynamic, and because so much of the work is is very new. Part of what we do is, by definition, really testing out different models, right? And so we might do something now totally different than we did it, you know, two to three years ago. And I think that you know that's going to lead to you know some quote unquote failures, and that's going to lead to some you know some learnings and some successes that can inform our work and and others. But you know I think the the, the short answer is, you know looking at is definitely You know, looking at the students who have been engaged with us and seeing them, you know, a year later or, you know, at this point, 10 years later. And so being able to see, you know, some of our early students um, be able to to come back and say, you know, after working with us for three or four years, to come back and start teaching their own course to younger students themselves. To see those students go off to, you know, to college and get scholarships for film production and they started working and producing their first documentary films with us in the sixth grade. Like, that's actually amazing to see.
1: So you've been really uh tracking the progress of the students for quite some time, some of these.
0: Well yeah, so I mean so it's a this probably I probably gave the, the, the more sentimental <laughs> response to that question. But there is, you know, another of course we have you know when we started we we had our grant from um from MacArthur Foundation under the DML initiative um to, to do the work and we were charged with you know running a program on the ground with the, really with the goal being um, not just running a program and serving those that subset of kids, but also really trying to push uh, and develop a model and a framework for doing this type of work. But one of the things that happened, we also had a uh, research team who had their own uh, separate grant where they were there with us on the ground for about three years. They were there every day and every meeting and every class session for the most part um, observing the work, um, interviewing the kids and the parents and sort of the deep engagement around really watching and understanding what we were doing, and then that work extended out for a number of years. And so, um, so there's actual data to back up the, <laughs> the, the more mushy, sentimental stuff that I think I was alluding to before. And one of those, I think, interesting data points, though, for us, was, came very quickly after the first year, where we were dealing with um, students on, in a middle school um, on the south side of Chicago, um, and um, one of the researchers was dealing with a group, um, was also doing another study of a group of students, same age group, but out of Silicon Valley, where you you know you can make a lot more assumptions around let's say around what uh, what their environment and their resourcing looked like, and you know looking at our students coming in um, when they were starting sixth grade before they had the program, they were you know obviously not up, they were very much behind in terms of the amount of exposure and experience um, as creators um, of of digital media, um, and so you know but after as very you know targeted set of supports over one year. The you know solid majority of those students had ended up outpacing uh, those that same group of students in Silicon Valley in terms of the the depth and breadth of their uh, exposure and experience with uh, digital media, and so I think and, and we've seen those trends kind of continue as well, um, and so I think that was you know kind of a really early on uh, a good data point um, for us to be able to look at and say hey there's there is something going on here. But how do we make sure that we go about this work in a way to make sure we understand what that what is so this is not just an anomaly and you know that led us very directly to you know understanding that a very core aspect of our work is is the mentor and so how do we build that mentor that ends up essentially you know supplementing a lot of those things that are that naturally happen in these more resource communities and how do our mentors become those connectors those resource providers et cetera, um, to help close that gap a little bit more aggressively
1: so, uh, next question for you, Keeley, is uh, for a while now schools have been wrestling with learning anytime, anywhere, and making learning relevant. What does that mean to you to make learning relevant? It is an interesting point
0: when we get to when we can look at at, at learning for the as just learning for the sake of learning. I think you know it's always much more powerful when it is applied to something that is that is authentic and, and valued by the learner themselves, um, and I think the learning is always going to be that much more powerful. In that case, when one can actually see the utility of it um, in the near term, versus just saying to earlier part of the conversation that this, hey, this you need to know this algebra concept because if you want to be an engineer (laughs) ten years from now, you know you got to make sure you get this type. That's not really a tangible for for that student. But if I am, you know, a young person and I'm, you know, also in the robotics club and I'm really passionate about that and we can connect those concepts to that experience that I care about, then, you know, it, it, it's going to go a long way for, you know, how much that actually resonates and that level of engagement.
1: So it sounds like then um, that you really do believe that what we call the fourth R, relevance, is important to a young person's learning and education.
0: hundred percent. I, I think it, it, it's it's critical to it. Um, and it's, I would imagine that, frankly, it would be almost reckless of us to assume that <laughs> Any, any of the other R's are are having are happening in a impactful and lasting way without uh, there being some level of relevance uh, from the learner's perspective.
1: And where are you on the role of technology, digital media, social media, uh, the internet in education and learning? Um, and how would you lay out the concerns and the possibilities?
0: One. Um, we need to make sure that whatever the the, the concerns that folks have around adopting technology in the learning space is um, that those concerns are to some extent are, are validated. You know, I think that we you know we want to not just get too caught up in certain narratives in a way where it handcuffs us from actually trying to innovate and trying to do anything new. Um, but I think you know I think also we want to make sure that we don't get to the point where we we are ourselves even those of us right in the middle of the DML space, that we're not drinking the Kool-Aid too much and too quickly, right? And that we should never get to the point where we are just so caught up with technology for the sake of technology that we're pushing it in ways and in places where it does not necessarily have a value add. A lot of this, this work with the integrating digital technology and, and leveraging some of these platforms a lot of it still sits on top of you know most of it, all of it sits on top so of, of top of of what because educators already know and already do and so we should you know not get too far that we have so much faith in the technology that it allows us to discount um you know the power of 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 teachers and mentors and then the potential i think is 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 you know it's 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 boundless you know I think we we want to really understand how we can use technology as a way to, to truly see through that vision around interest-driven learning, um, and then, but then, you know, h- helping us better manage, you know, connecting the, the the work that one is doing around their interest to these kind of shared areas that we need to focus on in schools and elsewhere. Um, and so, I think technology is 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 a. Is going to be a conduit for us to be able to do that a lot more effectively, um, but it still takes 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 deep work. And so I think as we try to adopt technology and even try to adopt a lot of the um, kind of startup principles and such that come out of the, a lot of the the, the, the technology related work, now we need to make sure that we are um, building on the best of that, but adapting it to our the context in which we're working in, and which is really trying to support and empower youth. And that's and that's that's just not as quick of a needle. To be able to move.
1: Do you have an example of where um, you haven't been able to replicate some you know, in-person learning activity um, in the digital space, like icon iRemix?
0: So I think it's yeah, it's definitely less about replicating rather than understanding what, what kind of needs to maybe be swapped out or adapted based on the context. So I think you know, we'll do um, a lot of work with, you know. Uh, Saying so U media and even before you media with you know kids in spoken word, uh, for example, and they would develop these these amazing skills for for not just writing but performance and then diving into certain content subject areas and, and developing these passions around creating with this particular medium um, and creating with each other. And I think that's one where you know when we were not necessarily as explicit around how that can connect and transfer over over to the online space. It did not necessarily move as much, and that came back to us but not necessarily. I think being as as explicit around saying, "One, how do we look at those the resources that are put in front of them in that face-to-face environment, um, but also the community that's being developed there as well?" So you know, we can put them all into an online space and kind of say, "Go," but you know, how does that? How are you making up for the fact? You know that they're losing out on that, that, that ten minutes of just you know connecting with each other that they have to the start of every class right how does that how do you develop those sales social connections and that and recognize those as motivators for them to engage in these online spaces now it can I think it can happen or you really look at it as not just saying I want to take something from offline and now package it and throw it purely online What we're really really looking at now is much more of understanding how do you leverage some things that may be, you know, more online? But how do you still allow the online experiences to connect people to these different communities and these different individuals, so you still can develop that that kind of social layer um, and those that 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 social capital between individuals that oftentimes helps motivate folks to continue to move forward and get better. And then how do we also say we can use some tools like iRemix, but we're not just giving them the tool, but we're working with the the, the mentor or the educator. So we can really have a set of shared practices around how to look at more of this blended model.
1: Also, you know, uh, I kind of like the idea of 24 by seven learning opportunities, depending on, you know, where you are in the world and, you know, for those night owls out there. (laughs) Um, Of the six connected learning principles, which I will outline in one moment, um, which parts are most exciting to you and why? And connect learning principles, uh, let's see, learning principles, interest-powered, peer-supported, academically-oriented. Design principles are production-centered, openly-networked, shared purpose, and core values are equity, social connection, and full participation. Uh, so which of those are most exciting to you and why?
0: Yeah, I would go with probably say interest power and, 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 and production centers as well. I mean, I think from the production center standpoint, you know, that's always been our approach at DYN is really that, that you learn by doing, you learn by making. And so, you know, everything, all projects we do are, are really centered around kids creating an artifact right? And so showing that they understand a thing um, by making a thing, right? And continuously and then iterating on the making and the fine tuning of that thing. And so I think, you know, that's the way you really kind of show, you know, that, that you understand something it's really by doing it. And so I think Keeping that at the center of all of the work is really a really powerful way um, to not just again kind of develop a set of skills and such, but to develop that that disposition of making and building, um, and then that leads to you know sharing and connecting as well. Um, and then I would match that with with interest power. You know, I just started thinking about this a lot more in the last year or so. Um, you know, I'm getting nice and old. <laughs> I'm thinking more around kind of my own pathway, and you now I, I go back and then I started looking at at, at how I started getting involved in making things with, with computers. That's probably the best way to go about it. And a lot of the, the early things that I can remember building, like my first website and my first program or <laughs> my first few programs, they were all actually centered around music. I was really into hip-hop, but in those early days of the web, we only had a few kind of really developed websites that were like diving into the type of hip-hop that I liked. And so that led me to making my own hip-hop website. And it seems like a very simple and basic thing, especially now, but you know, it made me it forced me to start to learn how to build um and design um with these tools on the computer, right? But then it also was powerful in that, you know, it connected me with uh different audiences. So I you know, going beyond just my friends my circle of friends now. I'm you know, I'm in the tenth grade and I'm hearing from people in Brazil and in Italy and in the UK, et cetera, that are all connecting to my website around this shared interest. So I end up developing a skill set and getting my feet wet at least in in really in development and coding um, through a passion around hip hop and music. And so I think this interest powered one is really a powerful concept to look at because, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're really gonna wanna look at and build on the things that we're passionate about, but we need to also understand that those things are also connection points and bridges to be able to help us develop skill sets that are going to be that are really going to uh, they may lead us in different directions, right? So you're not going to assume that because you, if I'm a parent and I'm really want to be supportive of my child's passion around music, if that that's not an obvious connection, that that's going to lead them to you know majoring in computer science and you know going on to start a digital literacy program and and making their own startup and doing this platform, those things are not obviously connected, but believing that there is value in my passion um, and my parents being support that and being open to that really did lead me down this pathway of making that first web page and, you know, making my first game, which was, of course, a hip-hop trivia game, and I shared it on AOL, and, you know, <laughs> and all of that stuff, and that leads you up to applying to college and saying, oh, I guess it is obvious. I probably do want to – what else would I major in? I'm going to go for computer science. It's the only natural thing. So I think the interest power, power, power piece is really you know, at the core of it for me um, and because that's really going to be the driver in many cases that, that, that helps connect our young people to those experiences that are going to really provide more value um, with them over time and over the, the period of their
1: life you know, the, the last question is, you know, what is your favorite connected learning story? And I was going to say, is it that one, Akili, your own personal story, or do you have another one you want
0: to share? I like it, Tara. That's well, You answered my question with my answer. That's it. That is in fact it. I am, I am, I am my own connected learning story.
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for your time today, Akili. Um, did you um, want, maybe just uh, want to provide a couple of links um, where people can go to read more about your work?
0: Sure, yeah. We are, um, so, we can, you know, people can definitely find out more about the Digital Youth Network um, at digitalyouthnetwork.org. Um, we can find more around our social learning platform, iRemix. Um, at remixlearning.com and right now we're also partnering with the uh, Mozilla Foundation and Badge Alliance to to work with a number of cities um, across the country to really do these citywide badging and and learning initiatives Um, and so you know I think that's one that you know folks can can see what Chicago is doing at chicagocityoflearning.org and we'll have some more links up um, pretty soon um, on that website and probably I'm sure Badge Alliance and Mozilla will be linking to them as well um, to see more around how we can maybe get take some pieces of what's happening in Chicago and, and hopefully bring it to other cities.
1: Thanks, Akili.
0: Thank you, Tara. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of
1: learning.